Hey, a programming note for today. This episode contains an interview where the sound isn't great, but the content is. You may have to adjust your volume a little as we go along. This is part two of a two-part episode about our religious roots, our struggles with spirituality, and developing identity outside of our faith. If you didn't listen to part one, you may want to go back. If you're enjoying the show, it would be helpful if you rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, or just tell your friends about us. Thanks again for being here. I feel like comedy was like literally the only place like in like my life where I felt like truly like accepted and like yeah like even the church says come as you are but I feel like the comedy scene is way more like that than oh actual yeah church there's so many know? there's so many people in comedy that I think of like in the last because I this as of April 11th I've done comedy for eight years uh-huh. but, but, more like seven because 2020 didn't happen at all but like there are people that i hang out in comedy with like kind of frequently like i see them several times a week i talk with them i'll see them at shows like we'll even like do stuff that's not comedy together these are people that i would never if i was not a comedian ever be friends with not because i don't like them but because i don't think our paths would cross and i wouldn't seek out a friendship with somebody like i you know yeah you (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just it's it's such a funny thing like i think uh just imagine like me as an 18 year old coming up to you a married at the time like 35 year old lesbian i'm like can you be my friend and you'd be like scram punk (laughs) like this doesn't make any sense C. Hogan, in an article titled Leaving Church and Religion Without Losing Spirituality or Faith, said that for her, searching for meaning within the confines of her Christian religion was like standing in the same stream, picking up rock after rock, expecting to find something new underneath, and getting frustrated when she didn't. That's when she knew it was time to step out of the stream. I've always wondered what people, usually white women in purple and teal linen clothing with crystals around their neck, mean when they say they're spiritual but not religious. Like, I guess they're saying they don't subscribe to any particular dogmatic faith, but they want to believe there's something more than chaos at work here. Or maybe they're saying that yoga isn't cultural appropriation. It is, because it connects them with a higher power. It doesn't. But what if, and I can't believe I'm saying this, what if I feel that way? That I'm spiritual, but not religious? I certainly wouldn't say it that way. Maybe I'd say humans are a ridiculous, fallible ape with a false self-awareness that makes us neurotic and narcissistic and prone to building bigger and better things to blow each other up. Maybe I'd point out that if humans even think of the song Mambo Number 5, it gets stuck in our minds forever. And yes, we're talking about the same mind we've determined is the essence of who we are. We, one, two, three, four, five, therefore we are. Maybe instead of saying I'm spiritual but not religious, I'd say... Who are we to think we could have any fucking idea where we came from, who we belong to, what made this possible, and what's real and not real? All we can do is guess, and for some, hang our hope on the thing that feels most true. 
Or we can go from stream to stream, from mountains and deserts and all over, turning over all the rocks, making the most sense of everything we find. Or we can do neither. But does it matter? Maybe. Who knows? Sometimes I think about the Sermon on the Mount, because there's still a little altar boy that lives inside me that contextualizes most of my more esoteric thoughts. But anyway, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Don't be anxious about your life. Look at the birds who don't store up food, and they get fed or the lilies in the field that grow beautiful without effort or stress. And he says, who can add an hour to their life by being anxious? I guess you could interpret that as saying, God will take care of everything. But I've come to think of it as God or no God, be like the lilies and the birds. We store up food, anxious that we won't have enough. We fuss over our looks and how we're perceived by others and by our God. Do you think the birds and the lilies are worried about what is real and true and who goes where after they die? No, they just are. Without question or concern, they just are. And we think we're better than that, smarter than that, but are we? On today's episode, we sit down with Megan Malik, an ordained pastor in the United Church of Christ and a certified clinical trauma professional. We'll talk about the role of religion and spirituality in our past and current lives, and how to confront the damage that's done, and keep the things that served us. We thank you for sticking with us. You're listening to The Cure with Audrey Marsh and Tyler Weigert. two-part episode about um Tyler was if you've listened to any of the the podcast you might know that Tyler was raised like extremely um evangelical, evangelical. Protestant yeah. yeah um I was raised Catholic very Catholic but like uh Tyler and I are always kind of talking about how I always find his when I listen to his experience I'm like oh I uh, I did not have it hard at all um so um, we've been talking a lot about like kind of spiritual trauma um, and overcoming that while still kind of having a relationship with f- faith broadly. Um, I hear you. Yeah, and I I don't think I don't consider myself to be a person of faith, but Tyler always says that like while he has left his religion, he still is kind of a. I'm seeking. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Um, 
So I, I mean, in your in your practice as a therapist, or also your time as a, you know, a pastor in a church, I, I I don't know if you want to speak to kind of what you what you've seen and how you know just I know that's a little bit kind of broad, but what you've seen and how you've managed things and what are some some ways to yeah all yeah, that. So I mean, first of all, I would say you know I think faith or spirituality is everyone's life. I think in the Western culture, we have compartmentalized that away. But even those people that I work with that say they have faith in nothing, we explore like, well, do you have faith in Wall Street? Do you have faith in Dr. Fauci? Do you have faith in like, where is it that you that you stand that gives you an undergirding? So uh, for folks that work with me who are, I would say, kind of breaking out of the evangelical model, or mode, um, the challenge being the, the strong confines and boxes of what, what has been trying to capture the divine or universe or love or whatever language you would say that's very prescriptive and frankly very uh, heteronormative white, you know, like God is a white guy with a beard and a gavel. And um, even young people that were not raised in there. Most of my um, experience in youth and young adult ministry was with mainline Protestant young people, but they still came with this bearded, gavel, lightning bolt, Zeus-like God. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we would talk, and I would say, well, I don't believe that God either. And that is sort of the beginning, was the beginning of like, wait a second, you're here at this seminary working and you're telling me you don't believe in that well then do you not believe in god i'm like oh i believe in god just not that god that's not that's not how i know god mm -hmm. um, and i would say just self-disclose when i was 27 kind of going through my own process of healing for different things i had the god of my understanding and then i had the church god and i thought they were two separate things i was like oh I don't know. I don't know where I stand with the church thing. It was actually my church pastor that suggested that perhaps seminary might be right for me, and also that perhaps the God that I knew at home that I like felt closeted about. Uh, I'm sorry to take that metaphor. It's um, fine. <laughs> you can't have that. I was gonna say that, but I, I really was like, you know, I have this very deep connected relationship with this entity that I know through nature, that's loving, that's connected, that's non-judgmental at all, that wants what's best for me, that is suited, that's actually more feminine than mm -hmm. masculine, My how I experience the divine. Um, I mean, I feel like I had to like, whisper that. Mm -hmm. And then my pastor saying like, well, maybe that actually is God. So then kind of doing that with young people and helping them explore that. And then I would say with clients and with clients who come from a more evangelical or strict Catholic upbringing, really delicately walking with that because I believe also we embody it. And so even though our heads may have evolved, like, no, I don't believe in beard gavel throwing God, we are in a situation that wakes up a younger part of us where it's like, oh my gosh, apparently a younger part of me still fears, still fears that God. Yeah. So I would say working with people rather than shaming that part of themselves to find compassion and acceptance for that part of themselves. And also what gift is trying to come from the little altar boy that's inside of you 
Or I say I have a little girl and she's got a brown dress, patent leather shoes with a little socks folded over, <laughs> and she's like very pleasing, like mm-hmm. and kind of like uh, do good because we're judged by what we do rather than how we are. And the, you know, Protestants very hard work ethic. Yeah. And she has served me so well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yet she seems to be very open to like, oh, maybe this. Maybe there's a wider, expansive view, and maybe you can change your shoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. And I think, I mean, in my conversations with Tyler, um, Tyler, you've talked a lot about how you, a lot of um, kind of, and I mean, the theme of our the theme of our podcast is we're we're stand up comedians also. Um, so uh, that's how we met. That's that's how you know, a 40 year old lesbian came to know a 22 year old, uh, college kid. But, um, so, uh, but we both, I've worked in mental health for 17 years, but I'm also very open about my struggles with depression and anxiety. And Tyler, um, has been also very open about his struggles with depression and, um, he's obsessive compulsive disorder and, uh, things like that. But one of the things that we talk about often that's come up while we've had these conversations about mental health is that, part of what um, triggered or was part of the trigger for Tyler's OCD was this fear of like not being good enough and um, fear of hell specifically. Yeah. 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 Mm. So yeah, that was definitely put into me at like a very young age and I just definitely like internalized that. And I always had the feeling that I wasn't like good enough and was always like fearing that like I would be, damned for like yeah. eternity yeah, which was like there's nothing to fuel anxiety depression ocd like a little uh hellfire um, or my my spouse is uh, a catholic borderline whatever right now and he talks about like making things up for confession mm-hmm. oh yeah that's what that's I mean, if you're a good kid and you didn't do anything, you have to make up sins. Yeah. yeah, and he was like, I don't know, but like, I'm supposed to go do this. And so, like, what cognitive, you know, psychological language, that's cognitive dissonance. And we're, like, disconnecting people from themselves. So, of course, a part of you would get into the cycle of not good enough, what can I do? Go, 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 to soothe that, which then ends up creating maybe separation from the divine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember, like, when I was a kid, like, they would talk about, like, redemption and, like, being, like, redeemed. And, like, I was, like, seven years old and, like, I'm, like, I haven't done anything <laughs> bad yet to be, like, need redemption, though, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm just, I'm seven. I maybe, like, took a few pieces of candy from my brother's candy bag, but that's about it. But I think, I mean, I don't know for you, but for us, we were taught in Catholic school that, like, even if we weren't bad kids we were still carrying original sin and that you know that it's it's a nature versus nurture thing like every child is born evil and selfish and we have to be taught to have morals and be good and i i uh i was a very literal kid which is funny because i'm a very sarcastic adult (laughs) um and my parents were very sarcastic so that like sometimes i i just wasn't sure exactly what to take as real and whatnot. And so I just assumed everything was very real. Um, And that was, I mean, that that was kind of similar, similar to Tyler. Um, My parents are both 
very fundamentalist yeah. evangelicals. Yeah. But my parents were much more willing to sit down and talk to us like adults, kind of like adults, and like work through what we were worrying about and stuff like that. So I think in that way, I was a little bit insulated from some of the more traumatic elements of being raised Catholic. Because even though my parents are very strongly practicing Catholics, um, they're also really like kind people who are willing to work with their, not that your parents aren't kind, <laughs> but that are, uh, that are willing to like kind of listen to their kids. But I just, I wondered if you could kind of speak to the like recovery from psychological, the psychological spiritual trauma that comes from being raised that way. Or if you've worked in your practice with people who have that kind of um, baggage. Yeah. Uh, I, I have, and um, I'm looking down because I think for me, the saddest aspect of, of this work sometimes, not in all cases, um, you know, Tyler, what you're referencing, I think of um, James Fowler did something about faith formation or spiritual formation, and unfortunately, many um, evangelical Christians in particular are at a very uh, young, yeah. mature mm -hmm. And so it's not that there's anything wrong with that level per se, except for it's very confining as you age, and if you don't shift and change it, it kind of boxes you in. But then it also boxes in all your other relationships. And so when I'm with people, um, one of the aspects of the recovery, I would say first is creating a safe relationship with me and them and building a safe container. Then also resourcing them to reach out and develop community outside of that original community. Because um, to, you know, to get all Bowenian on y'all, to self-differentiate or... Mm -hmm terms to self-delineate, uh, you're going to be stepping out of, and in a, with more mature relationships, that it's never fun to self-differentiate from somebody, but you can kind of uh, come to a, a, an ebb and flow, and this is what's happening, um, but with a very, uh, with some of what we're seeing right now, and you see me pause, because I've worked so hard in my career to really, I'm sorry, at this point in the interview, Megan got a little choked up. I can understand why. Can you imagine something that you hold so dear, in this case, her Christian faith, damage and traumatize and destroy people you care for? It's really hard to try to help you bridge the gap. But what I'm seeing right now with especially the political climate, how it's become so embedded with the religious climate, is that the bridging is less and less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, the metaphor that clients and I have been using is like leaving a cult. And, um, you know, I mean, I've literally had folks look and be like, my family has eight of these ten. They, like, if, when you look at like ten traits that make a cult, right. my family has eight of those. And so, mm -hmm. um, how do they stay connected at all, possibly, in a way that feels okay to them? Um, but oftentimes, it really is a significant leave taking. And when I say significant leave taking, um, there may be loose connection to the family of origin or the faith community of origin. Mm -hmm. um, and I work with clients to not cut off, but to leave a potential. Uh, but often, the family or faith community of origin does the cut off. Like, does the final, right. like, whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
we talk about rather than, um, you know, Audrey, you always said practices. So I'm a big person about process and practice. So we can have differences of opinion, but if we can treat each other like humans, mm -hmm. you know, if we can have, if we can honor the humanity and not use criticism and contempt and defensiveness and stonewalling and shaming, these things that we know are toxic to how we relate, then, then, then we can honor that. But unfortunately, um, what I see is that that hasn't been, less and less have people been able to practice relating in that way. And so I'm seeing clients um, walking away. But it's a slow process trying to resource so that it's not stepping out Indiana Jones in the, what, the last movie where he steps out over nothing and the floor meets him. It's oh, yeah. Last Crusade. Tyler and I were talking the other night. We were we were recording some for this particular set of episodes, and um, I was talking about how I've always related, kind of like when I look at people who were raised evangelical. I've dated a few people who were raised evangelical. I always kind of frame it in the uh, from my perspective of queerness, like what it would have been like for to be to be raised that way. But what you brought up in this current political climate, it's all, that's almost the experience that queer people had, uh, you know, forever with their families of origin is now happening to people who are just sl even slightly more progressive than their families or have different ideas about sex and sexuality, even from a heterosexual perspective or people who have different idea ideas about um, the right to choose and that kind of stuff. It, it's, it's fracturing families in that, in the way that it, that, uh, used to me feels like it used to be specific to queerness is now happening kind of across the board because of the tribalism of politics and religion. I would, I would, I would agree. And, uh, you know, <laughs> in the case of some of the folks that I work with who Maybe, maybe actually, when we start to work together, they might not even recognize their queerness. And I guess what I what I see with people is um, as they come uh, come into acceptance of their queerness, it's also bigger than what it used to be. It used to only be the queerness that was the kind of the the leverage or the challenge, the conflictual point. And now it's more than that. It's like all of these things. Not all, but many. Many, yeah. Many of it together, um, also related to Black Lives Matter, and you know, folks going like, I don't understand how you can not see. Mm -hmm. These are lives. These are lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or just we were talking a lot about the hypocrisy of mainstream. What I think what's what's put forth as mainstream Christianity, the hypocrisy in um, not not wanting to take refugees or being very opposed to immigrants and... Um, Pro-death penalty. Pro-death penalty, yeah. Yes, yes. And I mean, I like to say, too, that this is, a, you know, pro-life does not mean pro-abortion, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Right. Pro-life means, or excuse me, pro-life does not right. mean pro-abortion, and pro-life, hopefully, is about a hell of a lot more than um, a pregnancy. For sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, life of all people, life of the planet, and, you know, pro-choice being, I have a 
have a say to what happens with my body and, you know, talking about what does it look like to create a society where unplanned pregnancies aren't shamed. Mm -hmm. Uh What does it look like to equip young people with the ability to make choices about their bodies in ways that aren't shaming and so that they have an understanding of this? Um, what does it mean to look at the fact that, frankly, right now there's this toxic masculine culture in teenagedom where girls are sexually favoring boys and not getting pleasure in return? I realize mm-hmm. this is about uh, spirituality, but to me, this is also spirituality because, in my mind, God created our bodies as good and also to be responsible with them. Mm-hmm. And honor, yeah. honor our relationship with others and our sexuality I think is so intrinsic to who we are as people it's so valuable yeah we don't have those conversations and I don't mean in an uptight brutish way but in a like like this connects me with you in a deep way when I'm letting you see all of me literally nakedly mm-hmm. Physically and emotionally, and so what does it mean, and how do I make those choices? And Tyler and I have also talked about that a lot. How a lot of a lot of spiritual trauma is also kind of sexual shaming and sexual trauma yeah. because it's so um, so attached to kind of traditional morality uh, that you're supposed to um, not you, you're supposed to kind of like defy yourself, defy your instincts, defy who you are as as a person, as a thinking person, but also as a, as a sexual person, as you know, I, um, I'm at a different place in my life than Tyler is, but I know that I've experienced some of that as well, especially around coming out. Like, I think that I probably knew that I was gay when I was about seven years old and I didn't tell anybody till I was 21. You, you hold that in, I think. It made me much more efficient at lying about so many other things because I was lying so much about that. Um, Yeah, which just, like, I don't know. It really challenged my ideas of, like, who I was as a person. Yeah, it's, like, way more painful to lie about who you are than instead of something, like, more trivial, you know? Right, yeah. Yes. Well, and you're, 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 you're fracturing, right? You're, you're creating dissociated parts, really. Like the cognitive dissonance, like you were talking about. Right. And, and out of, for survival, for safety, for protection, and, and it pains me to see religion's role in um, fertilizing and growing that disconnect rather than seeking to mend it. Mm-hmm. Tyler's like my little buddy. Like I just, I want him to, I want him to avoid some of the, I don't know. Like I always talk about the formation of my neural pathways. It's very deep. And I feel like he could avoid that if he starts working on this now, instead of working on it when he's 35, like I did. So I like, I just, and for, when I when I kind of look at our our two paths, I think that probably the more more significantly Tyler's faith plays into how he's developed 
what his anxieties are, what his hangups are, those kind of things. Yeah. Definitely seems an entry. It's definitely it's, like it's, it's 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 in there like a lot more yeah. than I think that you know my little altar boy. Yeah. Has affected yeah. me. Probably, yeah. Well, and Audrey, when I think I hear you talk to Tyler, I have, you haven't shared as much, but what I think I hear a little bit of, right? So, Audrey, yes, you had this Catholic upbringing that is, we you know, confining and shaming, especially around bodies and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Bodies, but really all bodies? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And then if we're going to say gender-wise, probably women is less than men, the less. However, you were with a family that invited openness in conversation, parents that are practicing it. But it sounds like more mature than who are these values. They're also more progressive politically. I always call them like. Absolutely, I don't think we can dissociate the two. Yeah, my parents. I think I hear yeah. from you is the family and faith community you were raised in. Really, a lot of control, power, and control issues. Mm-hmm. So that the image of God was like an abusive parent. Yeah. Like they always like had the idea of like that he's like our father and like he's like disappointed if like we make mistakes and I remember like being taught like being told that like that God is like upset at you like if you like sin and like my parents would tell me like the same thing so just like the constant like reinforcement of like guilt absolutely just all the time that's much more that's going to entrench those neural pathways more and yet we know they can change yeah like audrey said about the little altar boy in her there's still like there's still like a part of me that's like wants to be like a good christian boy and like like is like stressed out if i like i commit like a quote-unquote sin Mm -hmm. like um that i was taught not to do like when i was younger and i still 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 part of me thinks i'm like disappointing like either like god or like my parents which to me feels like in you it's like one and the same. Yeah. Yeah. Because like they don't. Yeah. They like they always say like God is like your father, like their father. That's what mm-hmm. they always say. Yeah. I mean, and really, our parents are our first images of God. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. As well, and with the cultural thing. But so, but you said good boy. I wonder what a good Christian boy. I wonder how you would redefine good Christian boy. Now. Yeah. Uh. Just trying to make the right decision and like make other people happy and be happy myself without impeding on other people's happiness, I guess. Yeah, and so working for that, and yeah. you know, I don't know when this was, maybe 15 years ago, a very good friend of mine, I call her my spiritual mother. That's what Audrey is to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's good. <laughs> Megan, there is no uh, good or bad or right or wrong choice. There's your choice. Mm-hmm. There's your choice. Can you know your choice? And then certainly caveat being trying not to injure. Others. Right, right, yeah. You're not going to try to injure others. Mm-hmm. It's not who you are. It's not your DNA. Right. And if you do injure others along the way, I feel like it's... it's whether you're a person of faith or not, it's important to like apologize and make restitution. And make right. Yeah. Right. Um, which I think, I don't know. Sometimes I think that traditional Christianity, fundamentalist Christianity, they really ignore that. Like they think that they, that the only way to be a good person 
is to be a person of the Christian faith and be a person of the fundamentalist Christian faith. And, um, I know, I know that weighs heavily on you, Tyler. I feel like it kind of maybe still informs some of the way that I think Mm -hmm. in my like lizard brain, but I, I think that I'm much more conscious of when those thoughts arise. Yeah. I guess part of it too is like, uh, I have like an older brother who's like very, uh, He's basically like exactly like my parents like he believes like he like he like in my mind my parents view him as like the good Christian boy like he's saving himself for marriage he's like never done drugs never drank like doesn't swear like has a good job (laughs) (laughs) and like I guess like like that partially like informs like some of like like not being able to like live up to like my parents and like God's expectations because I see like my brother out there like quote unquote doing the right thing as like a good Christian person. But I I've been as I've gotten older I've like recognized like now I'm like I'm a good person and like he has his hangups and like I have my hangups and we're just like walking different paths, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. And there's Oh gosh, I'm blanking on his name. He's a theologian. Um, and he talks about actually like the whole plan is that we like fumble because that's how we grow. If we don't allow ourselves to risk, we don't we don't grow, we don't mature. Yeah. And so in terms of doing everything right, that was never the plan. The plan is for real people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that whole translation, be perfect like my father, is better translated, be whole. Well, there's a whole heck of a lot of difference between the words perfect and whole, at least in my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, growing in wholeness, that makes sense to me as I age. I'm like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Growing in perfection, that does not work for me. That leads me to be nothing. Right. Yeah. yeah. And also, what I, I just wonder what the definition of perfection is there if it causes us to deny ourselves happiness yeah well and also we know right in from an attachment theory perspective relationally where do you build the grit and the connection is not in getting it right mm-hmm. but in covering after and oops yeah do you know the permission in that mm-hmm. right the power of that how do we come back to each other after we say and do things we wish we hadn't or maybe we said and did something we didn't know had the effect that it had we're not mind readers but it right. did mm-hmm. <sighs> this is a really good conversation yeah <laughs> um, thank you for doing this by the way yeah well clearly you touched me because I'm like teary I was like oh gosh I knew I felt strongly about this whole what I'm seeing with the fracturing but I didn't realize I felt so strongly about it yeah yeah and I I mean I don't know that I would have ever really had these conversations about faith and Christianity with anyone until I started talking. Well, yeah, let alone, but, but like, until I really started, you know, kind of processing this stuff with Tyler Mm -hmm. that, um, it just, you know, Tyler to me seems like somebody who still wants to have a relationship specifically with Christ, but has just, been abused by religion and has yeah. has been kind of forsaken by religion absolutely like i i guess like like i like 
I like what Jesus said, like in the Bible, and like I, I kind of use that as like a like a way to like uh, navigate like life. But I also don't want to be like called a Christian at the same time because I feel like that in like my brain that kind of comes with like somewhat of like negative connotations just by the way I was like brought up and like mm -hmm. I just I just don't like that label I guess. For me personally, I don't know. It doesn't fit how you know it. Yeah. You would not be the first person that I've heard say that. I mean, how heartbreaking is it that you say, Jesus, stories of Jesus, what we know about him, I think following him and emulating his ways, that makes sense to me. I don't want to be known as somebody who fits this group that says that they follow him. Yeah. Right. I remember like Gandhi said something like, He's like, I love Christ, but I don't love Christians or something because they weren't like living up to like his standards and the, all like the hypocrisy that mm -hmm. he was seeing in his lifetime. Actually, the whole bit that Jesus went through himself as he was Jewish and a mm -hmm. rabbi and pretty much ousted by them. I feel like a lot of the people that I've like grown up with and like seen at like, like been around at the church, they kind of act like holier than thou which kind of mm -hmm. which definitely rubbed me the wrong way growing up and like i've like brought this up to like my parents i'm like you're acting like the pharisees like in <laughs> in like the in the gospel when like jesus was like when, i bet like, they love that your parents they, probably they love that yeah because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh i don't know it's just that that was a that was kind of like the breaking point of like my faith. I feel like it was a lot of questioning and then like seeing like other people not like live up to what they say they believe. And it was just like yes. very upsetting to me as a growing up and seeing that. So good for you for noticing, attending and waking up to that, right? What I say and what I do. And I mean, I, I think my biggest challenge in life is trying to bring these two, two things together and have them be integrated. Mm -hmm. The fact that you're 22 and doing that, I think, is amazing. And that you don't want to give up our faith. There's some connection, Tyler, that you have with something that's bigger, something larger. Mm -hmm. You may call it Christ. Uh, is phenomenal and to me that's what keeps me um, connected to a spiritual path in that I too have experienced something larger I can't shake it it's there it's helpful it's resource and yet what I see in steeple buildings is not always helpful or useful you know don't feel like you have to give up a part of you that may feel a connection to something larger, a spiritual side of you, even if you are choosing to walk away from the brick and mortar building. We want to sincerely thank Megan Malik for taking time to talk with us. You can learn more about Megan and her practice at thewellcounselingandconsulting.com. You can also reach out to her on Instagram at Megan at the Well. We'll put these in our show notes. And we'd like to remind you that, yeah, 
We might all be anxious apes with low self-esteem and IBS freaking out about our credit scores or something, but we're out here searching for meaning for a reason. And maybe the searching is the point. Oh, right. And being funny. That's the point, too. The boring one? The basic one? There's been a couple. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of your type. <laughs> First I'm talking to you now is very not boring. She described herself as basic. And then you were like, you're not basic. Who did? The, the girl that you're talking to now. Oh, she she's did? like, I'm kind of basic. No, and you were not. like, no, you're not. No. And no. I, I said, don't you remember we were sitting there and I was like, I was like, he's only, he's getting defensive about that because I called his last girlfriend basic. <laughs> My last girlfriend was basic as fuck. <laughs> <laughs>